Welcome back to another episode of Debatable with your hosts, Nina and Kyle. I'm Nina. I'm Kyle. Today, we're going to talk about vaccine hesitancy. So a few days ago, there was a Pulse Asia survey saying majority of Filipinos aren't inclined to get vaccinated. And Randy David wrote an opinion piece on Inquirer, which I actually recommend as secondary reading, explaining the survey and why people are actually having these doubts about the vaccine. We're going to do the same. We're going to discuss why people are hesitant to get the vaccine. There might be some overlap, therefore, with that article, but we're going to make some different conclusions. So, for example, Randy David's article ended by saying he understands why people would choose not to get vaccinated, like he wouldn't force the decision on anybody. We'll try to argue why people should get vaccinated. Like, it is in everyone's best interest to get vaccinated if it was available to them. We're also going to try to talk about, you know, costs of getting vaccines, how government contributed to vaccine hesitancy and explore the idea of mandatory vaccination. So right now, and we're going to explain the survey now, right now only 16% of respondents wanted to be vaccinated. 23% were undecided. The rest of the people did not want to get vaccinated at all. So majority of people who responded to that survey didn't want to get vaccinated. So what does that mean? That means that even if the vaccine wasn't being distributed mainly to people on the front line, even if the vaccine was available to everyone, like the general public, most people still didn't want to get vaccinated. But I must mention that just because majority of the respondents in the Pulse Asia survey didn't want to get vaccinated, that doesn't necessarily mean that 60% of healthcare workers don't want to get vaccinated either. Because that's not really how statistics works. You have a general population, that's what they're looking at here. But looking at People in the health industry, or like the healthcare workers, that's a completely different population. They might have different tendencies. They might be skewed towards getting vaccinated. We don't have a lot of survey data on whether frontliners want the vaccine, or at least it's not available to us personally. But we're kind of sure that a lot of frontliners feel like they're deserving of more protection. We know this because for the past year, multiple people, both representing frontliners and you know civil society organizations, have said, if you really want to call frontliners your heroes, how about you give them more than gratitude? How about you give them hazard pay? How about you afford them more protections, etc.? Yeah, so we're not necessarily talking about the concerns of frontliners here. We're talking about the concerns of the general public. In the Pulse Asia survey, if you don't want to get vaccinated, you usually have to say why. Or at least, from my understanding, you have to indicate why. Though I don't know if you can leave that blank, right? But 84% of people who were against vaccination had safety concerns about the vaccine, and 74% of people who were undecided about vaccination had similar safety concerns. Other reasons why Filipinos do not want to get vaccinated include doubts about the vaccine's effectiveness, belief that it's not needed to combat the virus, as well as high costs. So we're going to cover all these things, hopefully convince you that these are not issues that should stop you personally from wanting the vaccine in the future. So let's deal with the first one and the biggest chunk of it, which is the side effects, right? And the safety concerns people have with it. So... Usually, when you do get vaccinated, as I've heard from people, you get things like rashes, you get feverish for a little bit, you sometimes get nauseous. But I would say, for example, that that is just a normal effect of a lot of vaccines anyway, as well as a lot of treatments that exist. But for example, in terms of side effects, I also know that even people in the debate community are feeling a little bit hesitant, especially given the side effects of things like AstraZeneca's tendency to cause muscle pain or nausea, as I mentioned, as well as fever. So what do you think, Kyle? <laughs> do you think this is a big deal? That is a big deal in terms of how important the issue is, because like it might be a concern that really tips the scales. So like everyone, regardless of whether or not they don't want to get vaccinated or if they are still undecided, a main reason why they decided that way was because of the side effects. That's why it's really important to talk about. Um, I'll come outright and say it, no vaccine has actually been approved by the FDA. But that doesn't necessarily mean that vaccination is as risky as it first seems. Because although the FDA hasn't approved vaccines yet, 
the FDA has granted something called an EUA, which is an emergency use authorization. So it already has it for four vaccines, uh, for Pfizer, for AstraZeneca, for Sputnik V, and also Sinovac. So a lot of the time people will ask us, so what's the difference between an EUA and FDA approval? Well, it takes years to get FDA approval. But just because the vaccines are under an EUA, a lot of experts say that doesn't actually inherently make them less safe. It just means that we haven't really studied them for as long a time. The question that the experts ask is a question of balance, right? Are the benefits greater than the risks that the vaccine poses? So whenever an EUA is granted, that means that the FDA is saying that, look, we already know that there might be risks, but we are saying that the benefits outweigh those risks. So if people are going to question the safety, saying that, well, the FDA hasn't given its approval, the FDA itself has said that it's worth it in terms of like general feelings of safety. Um, the FDA itself says that the benefits outweigh the risks. So if you're questioning the safety because of side effects, because of the lack of FDA approval, if you're going to trust the FDA anyway, you should also trust them when they say that it's worth it. Uh, so recently, I was in, I was coaching a team for a med debate tournament. It was a tournament just about med ethics motions and about medicine in general. Uh, so I prepped with some med students a motion about making government officials get vaccinated, even if the vaccines don't have FDA approval. So on government, we really struggled with the idea that, I mean, at first we really struggled with the idea that why are we going to make them go through these vaccines if they're not approved yet? What if it's super dangerous? And then that's when we learned that if it has like an EUA, that means that that's the safest that it could be right now. And more than that, it's not just that it's the safest that we could possibly be right now. It's also that on balance, it's still worth it to get. So we'd really downplay the negative connotations associated with not having FDA approval. Yeah, I guess the next part would probably be to look at effectiveness because outside of the FDA approval, outside of other things such as the side effects and the concerns people have with side effects, another issue people have is the effectiveness of these vaccines. Like, do they even work? A lot of people say they don't work, right? But I guess the first thing we have to discuss is the difference between effectiveness and efficacy, because these are terms being thrown around that a lot of people don't actually understand, myself included, before doing research for this topic, right? I mean, I do know what efficacy is. It's just very easy to forget. Efficacy rates, in general, look at how well the vaccine does in a controlled setting. For example, Pfizer reported an efficacy of 95% for a COVID vaccine as a COVID vaccine uh, in general, right? This means a 90% reduction in new cases of disease in a vaccine group compared to a placebo group. This is different from effectiveness, which is about how the vaccine works in real-life conditions. Currently, we don't know much about this, especially since we're just getting started. Yeah, so what we do know when it comes to efficacy is that in almost all of the vaccines, except for Sinovac, the efficacy rate reaches around 90%. So you have Pfizer, the efficacy rate is 95%. Moderna's efficacy um, rate is 94%. AstraZeneca is kind of a special case because initially it's just 70%. Um, but if you get a second dose within the next two months, um, it'll shoot up to 90%. So when you actually get the first dose of AstraZeneca, they'll tell you come back in a bit more than a month to get the second dose. And by then the efficacy rate is 90%. Important to note, however, is that it looks at new cases and not necessarily severity. So efficacy rates indicate how much better the vaccine did in trials compared to the placebo group or the group that was given like fake vaccines or 
basically non-existent vaccines, but we're told it's a vaccine. So in the Pfizer study, you had two groups, one that received a placebo vaccine and one that received the real thing. The, the new cases in the placebo group was 162. The new cases in the actual group was eight. So if you compare eight to 162, the ratio gives you a number of, of close to 5%. So that's how you indicated the 95% that existed. Yeah, and I think what's important here is since it only looks at new cases and not severity, it means that just because you might still get COVID after getting vaccinated, like you might be one of those eight people, that doesn't mean that you do not benefit from the vaccine at all. Because just because you have, just because you got COVID, that doesn't necessarily mean that it would be as bad as it would have been had you not gotten that vaccine. So I heard frontliners who did get vaccinated, what was explained to them during their first dose was, okay, this helps you deal with 70% of the symptoms of COVID-19. So just because even if you even if you do get COVID after you get vaccinated, the effects will still be much less severe. So all three vaccine trials demonstrated 100% effectiveness in keeping people from being hospitalized or from dying from COVID-19. So if you say that, well, it's not really necessary because like you will still get a 5% chance of getting COVID. Yes, that's correct. There's still a chance that you might get COVID. But even if you do get COVID, you can at least rest assured that you're not going to, you know, suffer severe symptoms or you're not going to get hospitalized or you're not going to die, which actually really does help the hospital system in general because it's like overcapacity already. So whenever you have an opportunity to reduce the chances of you having to go to the hospital, you should take it. Yeah, so here's what we do know. Like, vaccines don't prevent 100% of new cases. And we know that COVID-19, according to the World Health Organization, has a fatality rate of around 2%. Now, some people would take those numbers and say vaccination is ineffective and therefore unnecessary. So while it's true that you can recover from COVID most of the time, 15% of people with COVID get severe manifestations. Another 3% could get critical manifestations. And that's not a small percentage. That's almost 20%. But if you get the vaccine, you can rest relatively assured that you will probably not have to worry about that 20%, right? Yeah, and also, if you actually think about it, people already pay way more for insurance against things with relatively lower chances of happening. So your chances of getting into a car accident, for example, on a 1,000-mile trip, is 0.2%. But most people still pay car insurance. And they pay car insurance premiums multiple times, actually. In fact, if you get a car, a lot of jurisdictions require you to get car insurance. Like, if you really think about it, people already pay more for things that are less dangerous and are less likely to happen as compared to COVID. But people aren't really complaining. So I, I don't think that it's that big a deal if you do get vaccinated. Yeah, so we dealt with the side effects, we dealt with the DFA approval, we dealt with the effectiveness or efficacy rates, as well as the fatality rates that exist. Let's deal with the next hurdle that most people encounter when they hesitate or think about getting the vaccine. It's the cost. And according to December 2020, the prices of the different um, vaccines, they vary, right? So Moderna is set at $37, Sinovac is at $30, Pfizer is at $20, Sputnik V is at $10, Johnson is at $10, and AstraZeneca is at $4. Yeah, so the concern about costs is actually weird to me because the concern is based on this notion that I disagree with. The notion that we as private individuals are supposed to pay for our own vaccines. That's why it's a problem. Like, this is so expensive. Why should I pay for it? But the thing is, you shouldn't have to pay for it. That's my opinion. It should be the government helping people to get vaccines because it was the government's inaction that made it necessary for us to get vaccines in the first place, right? And like, if you remember Duterte, our dear president, was saying that we literally stand no chance against this virus. The only chance you have is to wait for the vaccine. And now you're letting costs 
determine whether or not a person should live or die when it was the government itself that's saying that, you know, we can't do anything. It's just, just have to wait for the vaccine. I think another aspect to this cost thing is when we were talking about Sinovac, it's the least effective in terms of efficacy rate, but it's the second most expensive vaccine that's out there. So another question here is, was that the best vaccine for the Filipino public to begin with? There's also another concern about cor corporations having to donate half of what they buy for their employees, which is also going to add up to costs. Because there are a lot of people and a lot of benevolent bosses that actually want to get their employees vaccinated. But there's this huge hurdle, um, only from AstraZeneca, as I know, that if you buy AstraZeneca and you want to give your employees vaccination, you have to basically make sure you donate half of what you buy to the government before you get to vaccinate your people. And obviously, if that was your only choice, you would be very dissuaded from actually going out and getting your people vaccinated. So not only was the burden passed to you as a private citizen, but you're now also meant to help the government in being able to vaccinate a lot of other people. So a lot of people think that's unfair. I personally think that's unfair as well. And I think that, you know, we should probably fix that and figure out what to do. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's kind of ridiculous, actually, the idea that corporations have to donate half of what they buy for their employees. Because essentially, that means that the cost of vaccinating every one of your employees doubles, right? Because you have to buy two vaccines in order to vaccinate one of your employees. So that's ridiculous. It, you make vaccination twice as expensive for private individuals. And it's really weird because like the government has so much money and you gave so much mm -hmm. money where like where's it going to if we're, if we're gonna have to rely on private individuals anyway for me that's very weird another thing that was very weird in regard to the donation point is that it's just astrazeneca because i remember harry rock i made a big deal out of this he said that well it's just astrazeneca there is no other vaccine that requires you to donate half of what you buy to the government and it's like hmm, that that seems kind of silly because Harry Rocket makes it seem like it was AstraZeneca wanting people to donate half of what they buy to the government. Like, this is what Harry Rocket wants us to believe. That the people who made AstraZeneca went to the negotiating table and went like, okay, I will give you vaccines, but only if you make sure that half of what people buy will get donated to you. There's literally no benefit for AstraZeneca to want that. The makers of AstraZeneca are requiring the government to require private individuals to donate more vaccines to the government. That's so weird. Yeah, yeah, it's very weird. So speaking of government miscommunication, because I, I, I don't know what the arrangement for that was, but I do know that a lot of miscommunication and misinformation also led to the hesitancy that a lot of people currently face. So this is not just a phenomenon in the Philippines. Surprisingly, we're not the only ones going through stuff like this, right? So in Brazil, for example, President Bolsonaro um, has repeatedly denied the benefits of wearing masks, has questioned the efficacy of the vaccines, in, in like also repeatedly encouraged gatherings, which contradicted a lot of health experts. And the country has had four health ministers since the pandemic began. So it slowed a lot of the country's planning and coordination down. So a lot of their people are also hesitant about getting vaccines because of the information that they believed that came from their president. Anti-vaccine activists on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter are also big factors as to why people are probably hesitant about getting the vaccine in the first place. So in the US, for example, the collection of influencers, they reach around 59 million followers. And those are 59 million potential individuals that will be influenced and no longer want to get vaccines. 
this makes it like the largest and most important social media platforms for anti-vaxxers, right? This is why they thrive in places like Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, etc. Probably also TikTok. I'm personally not on TikTok, but I'm pretty sure there are lots of anti-vaxxers there, right? So this was from a report that came from the Center of Countering Digital Hate or the CCDH. And there was actually a group dubbed the Disinformation Dozen. Um, in the latest report they released, there's a Disinformation Dozen that like makes up of anti-vaccine activists and figures well-known in their respective fields. So this is in the US, but I'm pretty sure in the Philippines we also have influencers. I'm just very lucky to not know who they are and have not encountered them on my social media feeds. But if you have encountered them, you should probably report them is all I'm saying. So there are a few examples. I know the Bollinger's duo. They're a married couple who have promoted claims that Bill Gates actually wants to use the coronavirus vaccine to inject people with microchips, which I think is ridiculous. But you'd be surprised how many people actually believe this. So this is like in other countries, but we also have like our own misinformation pockets back here in the Philippines as well. Yeah, I, I did see that TikTok video. It's actually a tick. I saw it on TikTok, like I was scrolling and then I saw a video of like, it was an animation of a syringe. They, they stick it into a person's body and the vaccine is actually containing the microchips that will track you and harvest you or something that Bill Gates put there. I don't know why they put it on Bill Gates, but I think like in the Philippines, we have also experienced a lot of anti-vaxxers, a lot of like a rise in anti-vaxxers because of Deng Vaksha. Um, so like I keep blaming Presida Acosta for this. Uh, like sometimes I hate it because I, re I look up some legal questions online and the first thing that I see is an article from Presida Acosta and I'm like, ah! I hate this because like I don't trust you so I read through it and it's like okay this kind of makes sense but I still haven't forgiven her for creating so many anti-vaxxers because of Deng the Deng Vaksha scandal um so if you need a refresher what happened was that in the previous administration there was a Dengue vaccine that had really bad side effects and as a result a lot of people in this administration including the POW chief they were saying that you know, some vaccines are just so dangerous that you shouldn't get it. So that's also a reason why everyone is so gung-ho about the side effects of certain vaccines. It's basically some members of our government spreading like this kind of information, spreading this kind of fear. But right now, it's also the fact that a lot of government officials are acting so sketchy. Like Duterte doesn't want to be seen taking the vaccine, even though it would comfort a lot of people who don't, who might want to feel assured that like our president is okay with getting the vaccine, I should be okay with getting the vaccine also. And then Harry Roque was basically saying that, well, Duterte just doesn't want to get videoed of himself getting the vaccine because he's gonna take it in the butt. Which means like, you don't really need to take it in the butt. I don't know why you needed to share that. That is even more sketchy. Then later, Duterte says he's not gonna get the vaccine. He says that he would be the last person to get the vaccine because he doesn't want to, you know, hurt the rest of society. I don't really buy that. That's very sketchy. You have a lot of local government officials saying, Ayamuna, you guys go first. Um, and like a common theme here is a lot of these government officials are saying it's because other people are their priority. But like a lot of everyday citizens, myself included, the way that we interpret that is they think that there are side effects. They don't want to have those side effects. So they're making other people go first, like scapegoats or something, just so that make sure that it's not bad and then I will decide whether or not to get the vaccine later. I think that really contributes to vaccine hesitancy, like the actions of our government, like how sketchy they're acting when, when with regard to whether or not they should get vaccinated or not. Do you think that people should be videotaped when they get vaccines, like our, our politicians? Like, I know that's a debatable topic, right? Do they need to publicize getting vaccinations? Well, I think that this is a privacy concern, right? Like, 
the question here is should government officials sacrifice their privacy in terms of like they want to be private when they get vaccinated it's a private matter because it has something to do with their own bodies but on the other hand i feel like there is a greater social good that you would get from you know publicizing the fact that they did get vaccines um it communicates that they believe in the policies that they are endorsing. So another reason why the fact that Duterte doesn't want to be seen taking the vaccine was a big issue was that it was related to the fact that he kept wanting to get the Sinovac. Sinovac, which is less effective as compared to all other alternatives. So people mm-hmm. also wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that he was getting Sinovac as well if he was so adamant about protecting or endorsing that kind of vaccine. So I think that there's a greater social good that you would get from it, but I think that it might be less impactful depending on which government official we're talking about. But if it's like people in the higher ups, the people who actively say you should get vaccinated, you should get whatever kind of vaccine, I think people would really benefit knowing that they themselves are willing to get those vaccines. Yeah, I think that brings us perfectly to one of the last things we will be discussing, which is mandatory vaccinations. So, like, obviously, the discussion on whether they should record themselves is completely different, but this is still about mandating people to do stuff, right? And a lot of people have issues with whether vaccines should be mandatory, especially, like, laws that might consider making COVID-19 vaccination mandatory before you get to do things, like, you need to have it before you get to work, or you need to have it before you're allowed into schools or other facilities, but... There's actual precedence for this, right? Mandatory basic immunization is already a thing for infants, especially here. Like you have um, vaccines for tuberculosis, mumps, measles, diphtheria. Those are things that currently exist. These vaccines are free at any government hospital for children under five years old. And although it should be said that there isn't really a penalty imposed if you don't follow the law, at least there are, for example, measures that encourage people to get the vaccine, such as the fact that it's free. There's also a legal question here. Because legally, the argument for mandatory vaccination is expressed in a really old U.S. case, Jacobson versus Massachusetts. So what happened here was in 1901, Massachusetts was responding to a smallpox epidemic. Um, so they started finding people who didn't want to get smallpox injections or vaccines. But the following year, a pastor, and this is Jacobson, said that, I don't want to get vaccinated. I was injured by previous vaccines. I don't think this vaccine is any safer. I don't want to get vaccinated. So he had to pay the fine. So he was challenging that law. The pastor, Jacobson, argued that, you know, in the name of freedom, we shouldn't compel people to introduce a disease into a healthy system. So even like more than 100 years ago, you already have like this anti-vaxxer kind of notion that you're just injecting a disease into you. Even though you're healthy, it gives you COVID. And like, you hear that all the time, even today. So the Supreme Court in 1905 ruled on the issue saying that the state has police power, which allows the state to regulate people's activities in the name of public health. So a community, they said, has the right to protect itself against an epidemic of a disease which threatens the safety of members of the community. And as to the freedom argument, the court said that the state can actually compel people to receive vaccines even against you know, their financial interests or religious beliefs or political ideology if there is a sufficient danger. But some people like um, Jemmy Gatula, who works with the Philippine Council for Foreign Relations, he's a lecturer at the Philippine Judicial Academy, he says that, well, the case doesn't apply to our... Um, to our case, to the COVID context, because smallpox is inherently different from COVID. So the argument from Mr. Gatdala is that the fatality rate of smallpox, which was the disease involved in the Jacobson case, was 30%. So 30% of people who have smallpox die as compared to 
the way lower, and I will concede to this, the way lower fatality rates of COVID-19. Also, they said that smallpox affected everyone, unlike COVID, which only severely harms the old and immunocompromised. And the probability of someone under 30 needing hospital treatment is actually less than 1%. But there are lots of rebuttals to this, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, because assuming the statistic is true, I think the government shouldn't just act based on how many deaths the virus causes, right? It shouldn't just be based on how fatal it is because there's also a danger in how it spreads and how there are long-term effects that will eventually get to people if we don't deal with the issue right now and like promote people from getting vaccinated. So the fact that it spreads fast and the fact that it has long-term effects should be enough to deter people from ever taking an anti-vaxxer stance. But what are these long-term effects, right? They range from fatigue, a cough, shortness of breath all to the way all the way to inflammation and injury of major organs including the lungs the heart and other neurological and psychological effects that may occur right also just because it means and harms a certain set of population more doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a lot of vaccination in general immunocompromised people always tend to be more vulnerable to a disease and therefore we have an obligation as the rest of healthy society to protect them and ensure that they are not affected if possible to do so right and even if we're just talking about the old and immunocompromised vaccinating as many people as possible lessens the risk of the virus being transmitted to them and okay even 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 if it's just about the old and immunocompromised then we'll also make it mandatory for them as well just like it's mandatory for infants you know there, there are lots of ways to deal with the issue there are lots of ways to deal with the fact that you know it's not just the deaths that we should be afraid of it should be just how it affects society as a whole whether the effects are small on you or huge on you or huge on other people you may know. Yeah, I'm not going to argue the legal basis against Mr. Gatula because I am not qualified. Like he's straight up a really good lawyer, like very successful as a lawyer. I've, I haven't even passed law school. But what I am saying though is it might not be as dangerous as smallpox in terms of fatality rates, but there are so many other factors that contribute to it being dangerous as well. So like it spreads much faster actually compared to smallpox. Like if you research smallpox and you look up at the Wikipedia page for transmission, it says that smallpox is less spreadable. Like it spreads slower compared to other viruses because in order for smallpox to get transmitted, you need like closer contact um, as compared to COVID, which is like, it's really easy to get infected with COVID. And you have new variants that are even more infectious as compared to the regular strain of COVID. And to illustrate how fast it spreads, like just a few weeks ago, we were at 4,000 cases a day and now we spiked and reached 10,000 cases a day. And I don't see that stopping anytime soon. So it grows and it spreads exponentially, which is the scariest part here. And the best way to deal with that would be to get a vaccine for yourself, for your family, for everyone you know that will not be majorly at risk if they take the plunge. Yeah, what's weird to me about this argument is it says that we shouldn't have mandatory vaccination just because people won't necessarily die. And I'm just like, we do like a crap ton of things, you know, to benefit people, even if not doing so wouldn't make them die, right? Like we do so many things because it's a nice to have, not necessarily something that you would die without. But moreover, I think it just downplays the severity of the symptoms that you might get if you do get COVID. Like, it's not just death and something else. Like, those other symptoms are also very dangerous to a person. And those are the things that are more likely to happen. Sure, they're not as bad as dying, but they're still quite severe. And, like, there are so many studies right now that are saying that you have so many long-term effects, like you were saying. Um, like, you could have, in the long term, just inflammation or injury of major organs. And we still don't know the long-term effects, even if you do survive COVID. Um, so that's another 
part of the issue why I think there should be mandatory vaccination. But I think that it might not be feasible. Like, to be fair, I don't think that mandatory vaccination will be feasible. I don't think that we're going to have enough vaccines to go around. So I guess what we can have is to just have mass vaccinations. Like, we're not going to be able to vaccinate 100% of people, right? But as we said before, with mass testing, mass testing does not mean that everyone will get tested. It just means that to the extent of our powers or capabilities, we're going to try to test as many people as possible. In the same way, we're going to have to try to vaccinate as many people as possible. Yeah, and if we're able to do that, then maybe we'll just come out of this alive and maybe we'll survive a new normal. At this point, I don't think we're ever going to go back to normal normal, but you know, maybe a more manageable new normal. And that's at this rate, that's the most we can hope for. So hopefully we managed to change your mind if you were someone that never believed in vaccines or someone who was hesitating. And if you know someone who is hesitating, then maybe you can inform them of the things we have taught you. If there's more to know, let us know as well. We'd love to be able to include more statistics or more facts in our next episode. And I guess that's it for this yeah. one. Oh wait, just because we're saying that you should get vaccinated, doesn't mean that you, you should get vaccinated right now. Because oh yeah, don't 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 skip the line. Yeah, you know? don't skip the line because right now there are people who actually need it more. So like, if you were just planning to stay at home, like you don't really need the vaccine if you were just gonna stay at home. Right now, the people who need it the most are frontliners, and like we don't want to counsel anyone into getting vaccines even if they're not frontliners because like some people actually do get like sued for that. That might be penalized by like a law somewhere or like an ordinance and I know that some people have actually gotten sued for trying to skip that line so please don't do it but if the vaccine comes around and it's available for everyone and not just frontliners if there's no more priority then I think that people should highly highly consider getting vaccinated I think it's worth it yeah yeah good good clarification that was important or else people might accuse us of forcing people to get vaccines and cutting lines so don't do that remember the priority list but once it's our turn please, please go out and get. All right, so that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye.